Welcome to episode number two of Pravda. This is a segment of the Gulag. I'm going through books primarily, going through ideas, talking about philosophy, sociology, culture, all of this stuff. My goal is to find books that directly correlate with what's going on in our current world today. The book that I'm going through right now is called Cynical Theories by James Lindsay. If you have not read it, go buy the book. It's worth a read. Anyways, that's what I'm going to be going through this episode and probably the next several episodes. So stay tuned. Thanks so much for listening. Go to our YouTube channel to check out more content. We have Peyton Johnson doing uh, daily news segments. We have a full podcast, hour, hour and a half, where me and Peyton collab together. Go check that out. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all audio platforms, Anchor, and of course, YouTube for the video. Thank you guys so much for listening. All right, guys. So episode number one of Pravda. I did a little intro on this book, Cynical Theories. We talked about what liberalism really is. It's that belief in freedom of expression, freedom of thought, logocentricism, the willingness to debate, the willingness to even agree to disagree and get along with those that you might not see eye to eye with. It's putting reason, rationale, scientific evidence, objective truth at the front. It's risking being offensive if necessary in order to tell the truth. Because in order to tell the truth, which is a necessary part to actually thrive as individuals and thrive as a society as a result, you have to risk making things uncomfortable every now and then. You have to risk letting other people speak that you might not agree with. You have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. That's what it's about. That does apply all the way down to the level of the individual. We talked about how the radical left, the fringe radical left, the woke, the ideological Marxists and critical theorists, how they don't want that. They don't want people to be able to to discover the truth within themselves. They don't want people to discover the truth about what's good and and what works in society. They don't want there to be a difference of opinion because if there is, then that's going to question their entire ethos. That's going to question their entire, you could say, religious fundamentalist normative vision, which is to usher in this this socially constructed utopia that, as we know, has been tried over and over and over again in human history, and it never worked. This is why they're not liberals. So conservatives need to stop calling these people liberals. It's time we stop calling the Democratic Party in the United States the party of liberals. They're not. They use that term to make you think that this is what they care about, to make you think they actually care about things like tolerance and diversity and acceptance of anybody. They don't. The only people they care about are their ideological base. And if you disagree with them, you're outed, you're canceled, you're removed. And it starts with speech. It starts with censoring what we think and say. It starts with, with, with journalism and online platforms, and social media, and censorship. But it doesn't stop there. It won't stop there. The end to this is violence. This is why this is so critically important to fight against, because they're pitting a war against people. And they're doing it on purpose. They're a virus. And it's time that the immune system that is, that is properly functioning when we apply liberal principles starts fighting against it and killing the virus. 
that is woke ideology, that is Marxism, that is leftism, that is what the modern Democratic Party has turned into, sadly. As I go through this book, there's so many different things to keep in mind. They, we talk about, we're going to talk about a lot of different principles, a lot of different uh, philosophical ideas that really, because that's all really politics are. Politics are just downstream from philosophy. Philosophy is downstream from your religious values, you could say, from your worldview, from your presuppositions of reality itself. So that's what we're discussing. We're not talking about politics here. This isn't a political, this isn't a political segment. This is about human nature, about the, about the objective reality of our world that defines our politics, that defines how we treat people, that defines what things are. And this even applies to science. Now, the danger with that is a lot of these, not the danger with that, but the danger with the, the push towards this woke ideology is that it, is, it, it completely divorces from reality itself. And I think one of the main reasons, especially today, is because of the, the relationship that modern-day leftism has with this thing called postmodernism. So we talked about a little bit in the episode before modernity, which is modernism, which is uh, the Enlightenment school of thought, which is where liberal ideology – not ideology, that's a, the that's a wrong word for it, because ideology is ide, – ideology has this, this connotation – for activism and liberalism is not about activism. It's not about, it's not about trying to push a certain outcome. It's about letting the truth decide for itself and everybody coming to the table to discuss what that is. You're not trying to force an outcome. You're not trying to force a belief on anybody. You're giving people the freedom to do that themselves. That's what liberalism is. That's not activism. Ideology seeks to, to, to implement a certain outcome. It's dangerous, especially when that outcome is based on a truth that is not true. It's based on a false narrative, a false presupposition of reality. So I'm going to talk about postmodernism here a little bit. They, the, in this intro, he taught uh, James Lindsay's Cynical Theories, which is what I'm reading through. He talks about postmodernism quite a bit in this book. And the reason he does that is because this is the underlying idea that fuels all this woke ideology that we see constantly. So I'm just going to start reading here. Um, let's see, where did I leave off last time? That's a good question. So I'm just going to start in this paragraph. Though the problem to the right is severe, talking about the reaction to the immune reaction to the virus, the, the reaction to wokeism, which is a virus that seeks to destroy and disrupt and dismantle, as they literally say themselves, a lot of these professing leading uh leftists like Angela Davis, like Saul Alinsky, who wrote 12 Rules for Radicals, like Max Horkheimer and Antonio Gramsci, some of the leading thinkers behind this movement in the early 20th century, like the, like Patrice Cullen. Sorry. I think my, I think I just cut out there. Hello. Sorry. I think I just cut out there guys. Uh, but that's a problem. What was I saying? That's the problem with the right is, is it can have this, this, this push to to go too far to the right to where it becomes destructive and totalitarian itself so that's what he's addressing here right he says though the problem to the right is severe and deserves much careful analysis in its own right we have become experts in the nature of the problem on the left 
speaking of this book. So this book isn't necessarily addressing that problem on the right. I will address that problem later in this uh, in this series, in this podcast, in other books. But this book is primarily talking about woke ideology, the problem to the left. The problem when we take the left too far. Too far. The problem when it gets too chaotic, when we start to push the boundaries too far, when we ignore the conservative uh, necessity to to be the gatekeepers of what's good and what should stay and what principles work. This is partly because we believe that while the two sides are, are driving one another to madness and further radicalization, which is true, the problem coming from the left represents a departure from its historical point of reason and strength, which is liberalism, which I agree with. And now they're using it. Radicals have hijacked liberalism and turn, they're turning it into something else. That is absolutely not it. It is that liberalism that is essential to the maintenance of our secular liberal democracies, as I was saying. We have written previously, the problem arises from the fact that the progressive left has aligned itself not with modernity, not with modernism, not with the Enlightenment school thought, not with liberalism, but with postmodernism, which rejects objective truth as a fantasy dreamed up by naive and or arrogantly bigoted enlightenment thinkers who underestimate the collateral consequences of modernity's progress. It is this problem that we have dedicated ourselves to learning about and hope to explain in this volume, the problem of postmodernism, not just as it initially arose in the 1960s, but also how it has evolved over the last half century. Postmodernism has, depending on your view, either become or given rise to one of the least tolerant and most authoritarian ideologies that the world has, has had to deal with since the widespread decline of, of communism and the collapse of white supremacy and colonialism. Postmodernism was developed in relatively obscure corners of academia as an intellectual and cultural reaction to all these changes. So let me just give you some, some, all right, let me, here, let me read a little bit more here and then I'll give you some, some history on that. Uh, and since the 1960s, it has spread to other parts of the academy, into activism, through bureaucracies. Now it's in corporations, in our entertainment, in everything, in our politics. Now it's in our politics, and that's when it gets dangerous. Because it always starts with the academy. It always starts with, with education. It always starts with young people. Because what, do you, what, what happens? You educate young people from K-5 all the way through college. And then what do they do? Now they're indoctrinated with this ideology that's detached from reality itself. Now they're going to go out there and they're going to they're going to be the workers. They're going to be the decision makers for society. And they're going to decide things that are going to lead to chaos and destruction because they're not aligned with reality because they believe in this sort of uh, whether they they you know explicitly know it or not. This fringe radical thing that is a virus wanting to kill its host which is postmodernism, which stems from Marxism. I mean, even Derrida himself, one of the leading, uh, I guess you could say founders, for lack of a better word, of postmodernism, he said that he said literally himself that, that postmodernism is a, is a transformation of Marxism. Uh, where was I here? Oh, let me get, I was going to give you some history, right? Okay, so postmodernism is a reaction to modernism. So a lot of the postmodernists, the early postmodernists kind of rose in the 1960s, as it says here, the postmodernists, what they did was 
they said, hey, they're all Marxists, by the way. A lot, all these leading postmodernists, Derrida, Foucault, they're Marxists. And they saw, hey, our ideology just destroyed you know, half the globe, whether you look at uh, Stalin or Mao or Pol Pot or even some of the uh, more Western European dictatorships like Nazi Germany or Mussolini's Italy or Fidel Castro later on. All these people, right? They're like, wow, people are starting to catch on to the fact that this Marxist ideology is actually just pure destruction. And it's bad. And now in, the, in that time in the 1960s, it was largely considered you're like a taboo to be a Marxist. And I think rightfully so. It still should be. So what they did was like, okay, we can't necessarily keep on this Marxist thing because people kind of caught on to the whole to the whole grift. The gig is up. So what they did is they basically were like, hey, we're going to transform this ideology as a reaction to Marxism because maybe Marxism is an ideology itself. Maybe the detachment from any objective interpretation of the world is wrong, including our own Marxist ideology. So what we're going to do is we're going to say objective truth is wrong itself. We're going to say any interpretation, any objective interpretation of anything is wrong. Everything is subjective, even our own nature, human nature. Because that's the thing about Marxism is it's still a, it's still an objective interpretation. Just like modernity. Marxism is still a substrata, you could say, of modernity. It still believes in an objective truth and an objective reality of some sort. Even though it's wrong, it still believes in that principle. So the postmodernists were like, to hell with that. None of that matters. Objective truth is out the window. This is why you hear people saying there's no such thing as absolute truth these days. I've literally had college professors, ironically, tell me that there's no such thing as absolute truth as they're grading my freaking papers. The irony of that and the hypocrisy. Anyways, this is what they did. So it's reactionary. This whole ideology is reactionary. It's not based in science. They deny it's 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 anti-logos, as I think Foucault put it. One of those guys, I don't remember. Um, it's anti-logic, it's anti-reason, and it's purposely that. It's purposely that because they think anything that is objective, whether that's science, whether that's reason, whether that's anything that you can say, this is how it is, this is reality, this is objective reality, that's wrong. And any anyone that says otherwise is just an oppressor. This is where the Marxist ideology kind of followed it. Any, anyone that says otherwise is an oppressor and they're just playing a power game. They only believe in power. Which makes sense if you look at our modern political climate, all the leftists, they only believe in power. Everything is a power game to them. Oppressed versus oppressor. How many oppressed groups are you a part of? How many oppressor groups are you a part of with your identity? Whether it's politics, whether it's social justice, it's all about power games. That's all they believe in. It's such a narrow-minded, unilateral way of looking at the world because it turns out not everything is power games. It turns out the system that we have created in the United States and the West, predicated on something like the Constitution, is not about power. It's about competence. But of course, the postmodernists don't get it. Don't don't get that right. Anyways, I'm kind of rabbit trailing here. Going to bring it back because I'm going to get ahead of myself. Like I said in my last episode. But they're going to talk about all this in this book, a lot of this. So stay tuned. All right, keep going here. 
Uh, where was I? Cultural reaction of all these things. And since the 1960s, talking about postmodernism, has spread to other parts of the academy into activism throughout bureaucracies, businesses, corporations, uh, school boards, etc., and to the heart of primary, secondary, and post-secondary education, which is the most dangerous part, in my opinion. It has, from there, begun to seep into broader society to the point where it and backlashes against it, both reasonable and reactionary, have come to dominate our socio-political landscape as we grind even more painfully into third decade into the third decade of the new millennium. This movement norm this movement uh, nominally pursues and derives its name from a broad goal called social justice. So let me just let me just go on another little random tangent here. I just thought of this. So when it talks about the like divorcing from science, divorcing from reality, where it's all reactionary. You can see this in movements like the LGBT movement. It's not about science anymore. In fact, if you bring up science, if you bring up, you can see this with abortion. If you bring, you can see this with even, even the COVID thing. It's not about science. It's about a narrative and it's about control because the narrative is about whoever controls a narrative has power, has the power. And it's all about power. If they can control the narrative, then they have power and that's their entire goal. That's all they believe in. Science is just what the oppressors use to withhold power from those who seek it, like the proletariat. It's wrong. See this with the LGBT movement, especially with the transgender movement specifically. It's not about science. There's no proof that an XX chromosome can be an XY chromosome, but they're telling everybody that that is. And it's all about subjective experience and feelings of the individual. No, that's postmodernism lived out. That's the road to chaos. That's the road to destruction and dismemberment of an entire society. If you apply that to everything, which they're trying to do. Okay, going on here. I could say a lot more about that. They'll get into this, thankfully, in this book. This movement, uh, yeah, I said this movement nominally pursues and derives its name from a broad goal called social justice, which is a, a term dating back almost 200 years under different thinkers in different times, this term has taken on various meanings of all of which concerned on some level with addressing and re uh, and redressing social inequities and inequalities. Partially where it comes to issues of class, race, gender, sex, sexuality, particularly when these go beyond the reach of legal justice. So here's something that you got to point out. You got to give the devil his due every now and then, right? So here's something you got to point out is, is the, the social justice warriors, the social justice advocates here, they, they point out a real problem with a lot of these things with injustices regards to class, race, gender, sex, et cetera, sorry, sexuality, et cetera. They're right. This has always been a problem with humans. From the beginning of time, we don't treat each other fairly based off of those things. We are sexist and racist and bigoted and hateful because we're sinful. We put ourselves before anybody else. We don't think about others and we come up with reasons like someone's skin color to hate them. And really that's us just a reflection of our own hateful, sinful nature portrayed on them. It's not a result of them as of their skin color of that individual that you're hating usually, right? 
but that's who we are. Which that's something about the, the social justice warriors is they point out a good problem that this stuff does exist, that there are injustices in the world, but they get it so wrong when defining why it exists, how exactly it exists, who's responsible for it, and especially how our human nature applies to it. Because you're not going to be able to solve any of these social problems unless you are honest about the nature of humanity. They deny that humans have a nature at all. They think we're completely socially constructed beings. And the only reason that we are the way we are and act the way we do is because of our environment. So, of course, if that's the thing that you are basing your entire philosophy off of, you're going to get your politics wrong. It's going to be more destruction. You're not going to help anybody. Look at the look at all these movements. Look at Black Lives Matter. What have they done for the black community? What have any of these social justice movements done to actually make things better? Nothing. And that's why, because their presupposition about reality is wrong. So then you're not going to be able to solve the problem. So let me go on here. Let me keep reading here. Um, Perhaps most famously, the liberal progressive philosopher John Rawls laid out much philosophical theory dedicated to the conditions under which a socially just society might be organized. In this, he set out to he set out a universalist thought experiment in which a socially just society would be one in which an individual given a choice would be equally happy to be born into any social social milieu or identity group. Another explicitly anti-liberal, anti-universal approach to achieving social justice has also been employed, particularly particularly since the middle of the 20th century, and that is one rooted in critical theory. Like critical race theory, I'm sure everyone's heard of that. But critical critical race theory stems from critical theory, is what it's called. And this is the the Frankfurt School in Germany. Uh, Max Horkheimer, they kind of coined this term. But that stems from people like Antonio Gramsci earlier on. That stems from people like Karl Marx, which uh, were, were critical or conflict theorists, which is the idea that everything in society, any interaction, uh, is the, well, the conflict theorists just really applied it to economics. So any economic interaction is just a power game between oppressed and oppressor. Br- proletariat bourgeoisie is how Karl Marx put it. They applied that to culture. So now it's just not, it's not just economics for the critical theorists and for the critical race theorists and for the modern day wokeists. This is where intersectionality comes into play as well, which we'll get into that later. It's about culture. You can't properly initiate the normative vision of Marx, the utopian vision where a completely perfectly socially constructed world leads to nothing wrong. There's no bad behavior. Then there's no racism. There's no sexism. There's not even a need for the state. According to the socialists, if you have the right environment, but of course, they're denying human nature. But it, it's applied to culture. That's what I'm saying. So it says you have oppressed versus oppressor applied to culture. Because the more oppressed groups you can stir up, the more actual... It's like building an army of wokeism. It's like building the virus stronger and stronger. The virus isn't going to properly affect the host if it's just applied to one limb or one organ. And stays there. No, it's got to go everywhere. So they, they got to apply this conflict theory, oppressed oppressor narrative to everything. And they got to get everybody to look at every interaction, which is what critical race theory really is. It's a, it's critical theory and conflict theory applied to race specifically. They got You got to look at everything through the lens of that. 
which by the way, that's the whole idea of racism. Uh, it says, uh, uh, critical theory is chiefly concerned with revealing hidden biases under and un and under examined assumptions, usually by pointing out what have, uh, uh, sorry, I'm losing my place. Here. I'm reading on my phone again, which I should stop doing. Cause it's hard to read on this thing. Sometimes I lose my place. Uh, usually by pointing out what have been termed problematics, which are ways in which society and the systems that it operates under are going wrong, operates upon are going wrong. Postmodernism, in some sense, was an offshoot of this critical approach. Yep, that's what I was saying before. It's kind of an offshoot of Marxism, which critical theory is an offshoot of Marxism itself. It is Marxism, but just applied to culture. That went in... In, that went its own theoretical way for a while and was then taken up again by critical social justice activists through the 1980s and 1990s. The movement that takes up this this charge uh, presumptuously refers to its ideology, ideology simply as social justice, as though it alone seeks to just Seeks, as, as though it alone seeks a just society and the rest of us are all advocating for something entirely different. So that's a good point that he made right there. Because you hear this a lot with this with the social justice warriors. It's a, it's, it's a false narrative just in the name. Again, it's all about pointing, painting this narrative. Then they use it even with the name. Social justice. It's like Black Lives Matter or progressives. It's not those things, is my point. It's social justice in name alone. It's Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter in name alone. It's progressive in name alone. There's nothing about this ideology that is any of those things. And they use name, they used phrases like that. It's like, okay, here's another example. Do you guys remember the Patriot Act after 9-11? It was supposed to be about being able to build up a defense against terrorism and be able to track, you know, track the terrorists and blah, 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 blah. And it was all the, it was all about, let's just save ourselves from the terrorists. This was the narrative and they called it the Patriot Act because we care about America and we don't like terrorists. What did it do? Was it about that? No, it was about mass censorship. It gave the federal government, illegally so, it gave the federal government the authority to spy on every American without cause or without reason, without a warrant. It was a complete and utter invasion of privacy of our constitutional right. And they called it the Patriot Act. The irony of that, the same thing applies with social justice. And they, 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 this is the thing, this is the deceptive way in which they manipulate people to go along with this shit, like Black Lives Matter. Or social, the social justice word, or progressivism, right? So they 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 coin these names to make themselves sound good, to make themselves sound like this virus of an ideology isn't the destructive virus that it is. And then what they do is they 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 use those phrases to make it look like anybody that's not that doesn't adhere to their strict ideology isn't for progress, isn't progressive, isn't for justice in society, isn't for. Uh, um, the valuing of black lives. This is what they do, people. It's so destructive and evil and manipulative. 
I think I'm going to stop there today. Um, there's a lot more. The next section I want to get into is going to be a little bit longer. So I'm going to stop there before I get into it. But thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. I hope this shit's helpful helpful for you guys. Um, I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit in some of this, but I'm literally just reading this and giving my commentary. And hopefully I'm learning as I'm going through this, you know? So that's really my goal. It's like, it's like, this is really just so I can learn and vocalize it. And if it helps you guys, awesome. That's it. That's can't complain about that. Hopefully it helps you guys. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. Go check out the gulag on uh, all platforms, including YouTube. Peyton's got some good news commentary daily, every morning. Uh, he's going through news, doing little 10, 15 minute segments. We also have a podcast with me and Peyton, a conjoined podcast. We have guests on every now and then. That's more of just a free for all Joe Rogan style. Kind of we're talking about whatever more. It's more of a we're just fucking around kind of thing. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um, you have yourselves a good day. Adios.